This is Let's Talk Tribe, episode 25, Painted Into a Corner, recorded on March 24th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, It's been a busy week in my real life, but my busy week is coming to a close, and it's coming up on an easy week in my real life, so I'm feeling good. Yeah, and we're coming up on opening day a little bit closer. And have to start out with a little bit of apology that we didn't have a podcast last week, but Jason just told me he didn't want to do it, and he was real mean <laughs> about it. And, no, I was coughing like crazy. I don't think it would have been fun to either hear me hacking into the microphone or sucking on a cough drop for 40 minutes, so... We just called it off, but we're here now, again. You'd be surprised. People watch some pretty boring movies. They might have been into 40 minutes of you coughing and sucking on a cough drop. <laughs> just absolutely nothing else but that. We should have <laughs> tried it, maybe. It could be a, like a an art experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting past that, into the games, we had, admittedly, since they're during the middle of the day and I was sick, I didn't watch a ton of games this week or listen to them, but the Indians were hitting balls with sticks, and that happened. And most notably... Yesterday, Tyler Naquin hit two home runs against the Royals, which is really nice. And Danny Salazar looked really bad in just over two innings. So anything in particular in the past week that you noticed that stuck out to you in games? Um, I mean, I, you know, I think Naquin is definitely the standout performer. Um, I, I think whether that was their hope all along or not, the, the Indians are somewhat painted into a corner and almost have to give him the job, I think, at this point, which I'm happy about, and I know you're happy about, because we've talked about what we'd like to have happen. And I don't think the team really minds. In theory, they could be, you know, there could be the service time stuff. Um, but A, I just don't think Naquin's the kind of prospect you worry as much of with that. And B, they can send him down to the minors and get the extra, you know, two years of team control. They send him down for two weeks at some point. The only way they can't do that is if he's playing so well uh, and I think the Indians would be willing to take that problem. So I think Naquin's been the big thing. Um, not much else. I, I don't think the Indians are going to win the Cactus League this year. They're, uh, they're seven games back of the Diamondbacks. So clearly this season has been a waste. <laughs> what a terrible team. It's probably because they kept Carlos Santana. I mean, if they would have just <laughs> cut him weeks ago, they probably would have won the Spring Training League. Yes. But yeah, the thing with Naquin, which we'll talk about later, is... I guess the Indians still aren't that confident in the outfield, even with Naquin looking great, which because it is spring training, but they're apparently looking for more outfielders, and they signed Marlon Bird, who had a double the other day, but they still apparently want to get more, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and what about Giovanni Urshela? Now that he's all of a sudden hitting in games that don't matter, that means he's going to be great in the regular season, and the Indians made a mistake in signing Juan Uribe, right? Wasted money, stupid Dolans. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see him doing well. I, I don't think there's if you want if Juan Uribe is is healthy, I don't think there's any way Urshela, you know, is in the lineup at the start of the season. Um, but obviously, him playing well would be good um, because Uribe is not a long term plan. I think that it's it's really easy to people's attention spans are so short these days, and so Urshela, Urshela comes up and there's a lot of excitement, and early on he does a couple things that help build that a little more excitement. And then he really struggles and people get really down on him and want to completely write him off. Um, when, 
uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think we, people want to jump to conclusions for whatever reasons really quickly and just kind of have a final kind of decision made on someone. Um, so I, I think, I hope Rochelle has a good year. I'm, if you rebase healthy and reasonably productive, I don't think we're going to see much of Rochelle in Cleveland this year, though. How about yeah. you? Do you think, do you think yeah, I was. Can... Go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, do you think he can, can, beat out your rebate to be the starting third baseman? No, no. I was in that group that got a little overexcited when he first came up, but, I mean, he hasn't really hit anywhere in the minors, and he hasn't hit in the majors. Even with his injury, I don't think being injured just all of a sudden means he's going to be good when he's not injured. So I just don't see him hitting at all, but it's kind of funny how just signing your rebate all of a sudden made third base kind of a deep position for the Indians because they have your now who's going to be at the very least, he'll be consistent in the majors, you would think. And then they have uh, Urshela in AAA, and maybe even Yandy Diaz is going to be competing next year. So they went from third base being one of the weakest positions to maybe being one of the deepest, if not the best, but there's depth there at least. Yeah, yeah there's depth, although, I mean, it's a depth of guys, none of whom feel like they're likely to be like breakout players. Um, right. And, you know, it's, it's still, you know, there's nothing wrong with, we said this before, there's nothing wrong with having average starters in the lineup. Great teams have average players in the lineup somewhere. Uh, and, so, you know, the more guys you have who seem like they could be an average starter, that's still better than what the Indians, like you're saying, like that they had in a lot of positions not that long ago. I will say, Urshel, you mentioned he's never really hit. But 2014, he did hit. Uh, you know, he never really hit before that. And it could be that that ends up looking like a big outlier. Uh, but in double-A for Akron that year, he hit 300 with a, a 567 slugging percentage. Uh, and then he killed the ball in, uh, I can't remember which country's winter league he was in. Uh, and then he got injured. So I don't expect him to be like a, a plus third baseman with a bat. Um, but there is at least some track record for him to be a productive hitter. Certainly, I think, reason to think he could do better than he did last year once he gets enough reps. But again, he's, I think, 23, maybe just turned 24 this winter. Uh, we said a couple weeks ago, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper have totally thrown off people's expectations of young players. Someone not breaking out till they're 24 or 25 is in no way you know, a rarity or anything like that. Yeah, I don't think Urshela is going to be as bad as he was last year, but I just don't think he's going to be better than whatever the Indians are going to get out of Juan Uribe or potentially even better than what Yandy Diaz might be eventually. Right. I don't know. I just kind of, kind of down on your show lately. Ever since last year, really. <laughs> well, fair enough. We're all allowed to be down on whoever we want. This is sports. <laughs> and um, the other big thing in spring training has been that the fifth starter battle, it was at one point, Sort of a four-person battle. Well, three and a half, I guess. I don't think anybody thought Clevenger would really make it. TJ Clevenger went out with the first round of roster cuts uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. And then um, it was just on the TJ House, Josh Tomlin, and Cody Anderson. And then just recently, House was optioned. I guess he didn't really have much of a chance either, but now it's down to Tomlin and Anderson. And Tomlin apparently is going to get time, at least some time in the bullpen, according to what Tito said. And so it's really just him and Anderson... Uh, it seems like almost Tomlin might have won by default just by the fact that he doesn't have an option. Or he does, but he can refuse it because he has five years of service time. But So it looks like either him and Anderson are going to split some kind of weird way of working the fifth starter for the first couple months while Tomlin's also in the bullpen, or Anderson's just going to start in AAA while Tomlin 
uh, gets the occasional start in April, and then also comes out of the bullpen. So what do you think of the fifth starter? Who's going to get it? Are you glad it wasn't House and Clevenger? And what do you see going forward with it? Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I still think it's going to be Tomlin. I just think the, the lack of options, I don't think they want to let him go. Um, I, I think putting him in the bullpen some because you don't need the fifth starter as much. I think that's sort of a, we'll see how he does. Uh, if he looks good right out of the gate, you know, I would expect them not to skip him as much. Um, not that they could skip him that many times anyway. Um, but if he doesn't look great, then yeah, you just let the other four guys go every five days like they normally would. Um, I do think, you know, Anderson is, is having an intriguing spring, um, without looking at any of like his baseball card statistics, just because his velocity is way up. Uh, I read something over the weekend that he's been sitting at like 95, uh, and sometimes hitting 97 with his fastball, which is a big jump from last year. Um, and it's kind of a game changer in terms of, you know, his possible outcomes. So I think, you know, if, if he's found an extra five, six miles per hour suddenly on his fastball, um, you know, he becomes a much more intriguing candidate. I'm fine with him starting the season in Columbus. It just, it's, you're going to need a six starter. Every team does. Someone's going to, something's going to happen. Um, so, well, I don't think this changes. I, I just, I feel like short of an injury, uh, you know, again, if, if players are healthy, Wanderee is going to be the third baseman. If players are healthy, I think Tomlin's going to be the fifth starter. Um, but I'm much more intrigued with Cody Anderson than I was two weeks ago, um, just because of the velocity uptick. Yeah, that velocity it made. I don't remember who it was, but somebody at FanGraph said he's looking a lot like Matt Harvey, which, I mean, I'll take that comparison. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. I think there might have been a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there, but... And, yeah, uh, I mean... I, Again, I don't, I, the reports about his velocity, uh, you know, saying he looks better, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's expecting that suddenly he's now on the same level as Kluber and Carrasco or anything like that. Um, but, man, the Indians have just managed to acquire and develop their way into a wealth of starting pitching right now. And, and Cody Anderson suddenly looks like a much better potential candidate, uh, you know, than he did not that long ago. Um, I think the rotation has a chance to be, you know, the best middle-aged or younger Indians fans have watched in Cleveland. Oh, for sure. It's just got to be that Mickey Calloway magic. I'm thinking something in there, <laughs> something in the water in Cleveland. I don't know. And for what it's worth, Anderson in spring so far, he has eight strikeouts to four walks, which I mean, really small sample size at spring training, but I don't think I've ever seen him strike out twice as many people as he's walked. <laughs> he's just never been a strikeout pitcher, but if he adds that, that's going to be something. Yeah. I mean, and obviously velocity is not the only thing that matters on a fastball. Um, you know, but if, if nothing else about it changes, except it's suddenly five, six miles an hour faster, that's still a much better pitch. Uh, and it, you know, it, it creates more separation from his other pitches. And so I think that's certainly something to watch. And well, I think he's going to be in Columbus monitoring his results in Columbus is, is going to be worthwhile. Definitely. And with Tomlin, because of that contract they just signed him to, what was it, like two years? They're paying him barely anything per year for how good of a pitcher he might be. It's going to make him really tradable. And if some of the stories are true, the Indians are looking at outfielders, such as uh, just the other day, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that the Indians are still looking for help. I think I read somewhere Chris Antonetti even said it, just to confirm it. And then today, 
who was the guy that said it? Nick Cafardo, which I mean, take that for what you were. He's from the Boston Globe. He likes to stir up a lot of rumors, but he said that the Indians are potentially uh, talking to the Red Sox about one of Betts, Bradley Jr., or the other outfielder whose name I will remember in a second. Rusty Castillo. So one of those three, the Indians are apparently talking talking about, which Mookie Betts, probably untouchable at this point. I don't know who the Indians could give him to prime away. Jackie Bradley Jr., probably a little more attainable, but it would take, I would think, something like Salazar or Bowser. Bowser? Bauer. Let's go with Bowser. That's good. If they give us Mario, we'll give him Bowser and Peach. Um, <laughs> but if they do want Castillo, that can maybe be something that they send Tomlin over because the Red Sox, even after signing David Price, they still need a little bit of help. Um, what do you yeah, think of the Red Sox? Probably have more outfield talent than they need. Like you said, Betts isn't going anywhere. Betts would be like a put Carlos Carrasco into the deal, and then we'll figure out what other pieces would maybe be enough. So that I don't, I can't see that happening. Um, yeah, yeah I, I do think like not that there's a, really another option for the Indians. It sort of feels like they're just continuing to collect somewhat similarly talented players. I mean, obviously a young guy is a completely different type of player than Marlon Bird, but in terms of like how much they're likely to help this year. And again, it's sort of just, well, the more of those players you have, the better the chances that one of them, you know, does what you need. Um, but it does feel like a lot of just lateral acquisitions rather than like legitimate upgrades. Right. So that would, I think it, that mean, Rosny Castillo would probably fit more into, he's only 28, so he's not old, but I think he'd fit closer into what they're doing, which is not going after really a superstar, just another outfielder to throw against the wall and see if he sticks. I would love Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field, but I don't know what it would take. Or even if the Red Sox would want to do it. Um, right. I mean, all, all offseason, I mean, Anthony stuck pretty hard to we're not going to trade any pitchers. But I wonder if we're getting closer to the regular season and if they don't like the center field situation, if they don't like Naquin starting every day, if they're going to be able to relent on that at all and maybe deal someone like Salazar or Bauer. I don't know what kind of – if they trade Bauer, I would think that would add something else. But Salazar, right. they could probably get somebody and then somebody else along with them for one of those outfielders, I would think. Yeah, I would too. Um, I'd be surprised to see anything happen. I'm trying to think of the last – and there's a substantial chance I'm overlooking someone obvious. But I'm trying to la- remember the last like big acquisition the Indians made you know, only a week or so before opening day and – Again, I'm sure there's been one since then, but the last one I can think of is Oral Hershiser, who they signed, you know, just shortly before opening day that year. And that was twenty more than twenty years ago now. So I'm sure there's someone in there, but it just feels like this close to opening day with this much of spring training gone. Uh I guess last year Craig Kimbrell, though he got traded from the Braves to the Padres really close to opening day. So I guess they do happen. Um I just wouldn't hold my breath for a trade at this point. Yeah, but you could also make the point that they haven't been, they haven't a team that could potentially be one or two pieces away this close since, since they signed Oral Hershiser, I guess. I mean, would you have expected them to make a big acquisition in the two thousands when they were just sort of dismantling? No, I mean you're right. Absolutely, this is you know that's the kind of move you make when you think there's you know you're close. Um, but I mean, you know, and I see what you're saying, but I don't think this is like the first season. I mean, I understand we shouldn't oh, yeah. be saying. <laughs> 20 years in a row they could have and didn't but you know there are probably five or six years in there where on some level it would have made some sense and they didn't 
at least a couple times since we got the podcast going again, you've mentioned something sort of like, oh, they should do this or this can happen, and then lo and behold, so Mike Trout. They might, I fully expect Mike Trout to be headed to Goodyear by the end of the weekend. <laughs> of course, right after the podcast, we'll do it as always. So we'll talk about it next year, next week when nobody cares. Mike Trout on the Indians will be old news by then. Uh, but I'm in your boat. I don't think anything's going to happen. I would like, I'd love something to happen, but the fact that it's coming from Nick Cafardo too doesn't help much. And I just don't think the Indians are going to trade anything for an outfielder right now. And if they do, it's going to be something really small, probably. Although yeah, I mean, I, I can believe Cafardo's report that the Indians have called and are, are asking. I just have a hard time thinking it's going to, you know, they're expecting it to really go anywhere. It feels more like it just kind of, <laughs> how's it going? Hey, since we're talking, I might as well mention. Hey, can I have Mookie Betts? No? Okay, see you later. Um, So, speaking of what the Indians... I'm going to force a segue here. Speaking of what the Indians are doing to get ready for the upcoming season, I figured we could do some predictions. We kind of went back and forth with how to do this, which whether we're just going to run down all of our players or not, which is the way we're doing it right now on the site, which is doing the player prediction posts, which have, if you haven't seen, they go up at 10 o'clock in the morning every day. You can go in and put what you think each player we're going to do, and then at the end of the year, somebody's going to win. There might be a prize. I don't know yet. But like you were saying, I don't think it'd be very exciting for us on the podcast to go just read a bunch of numbers for every player that we have. So instead, we just picked out some random things to predict that we can choose, and then at the end of the year, we can listen back and make fun of ourselves for being so wrong on everything. I enjoy making fun of myself for being so wrong (laughs) on everything, so this sounds like it's right up my alley. So to start... Will Michael Brantley start on opening day? No. (laughs) Um, It sure seems more likely than it... I mean, it's continued to get more and more likely, but I still... I can't see opening day. I've moved up to, like, mid-April, but I still can't see opening day. It would be pretty crazy if he did, though. And, like, not that I ever saw his medical reports, and I realized I never had, like, a a fantastic... A lot of this expectation of when he would come back has been based off of something I think Peter Gammons mentioned months ago and no one seems totally clear where he got his information. Um, even just the basic timetable put it like, you know, mid-May or I mean, sorry, mid-April as kind of the early end and he's exceeded that, but I, st- I just can't see opening day. Yeah, and I'm on the fence enough that I'm just going to be argumentative and say that I think he will. Because <laughs> right. I think it will go either way, but the only concern I have is the fact that he did start, and they say the reason he was resting is because he didn't bounce back as quick as they would hope. And I would think if you're coming back healthy, that's kind of a big thing. But I'm on the fence enough that I'll be willing to say, sure, I think he will. It's we'll good see. for us to disagree because then one of us can lord it over the other one when we're right. And we don't even have to wait for the end of the year. In like 10 days from now, 11 days from now, one of us can lord that. Two weeks from now, one of us is going to taunt the other for being wrong about that. Just the whole podcast. Um Sticking with Michael Brantley, this sort of has to do with an injury, I guess, but will Brantley have a double-digit walk rate again in 2016? Last year, for the first time in his career, he had a 10.1%, I believe it was. Do you think he'll do that again? Regression tells me no, because he just jumped up and barely got over. So even like one or two fewer walks than he wouldn't have. Um, But I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to credit it to Carlos Santana, not that I have any reason to, but just to agitate everyone who hates Carlos Santana, I'm going to say, yes, Michael Brantley sustains his improved walk rate because Carlos Santana has been talking to him. His grittiness has grinded off on to Michael Brantley. That's how it works. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to just 
Jurgen may win this one. I think he will. Because last year, it wasn't just one thing that led to him getting the walk rate. He just did not miss when he was swinging the bat. And I think even if he regresses some, he's still going to be able to get a lot of contact and know when to swing. And I could see it being 10 or maybe a little higher this year. I wonder. I also, uh, this is a complete wondering that I have no idea if anyone's ever looked into. I don't know how easy it would be to look into it. But I wonder if the longer a hitter is good, doesn't it make sense that they'd see more and more pitches outside of the strike zone? Like the longer Brantley shows that, man, if I throw a strike, he's not going to miss it. It seems like pitchers would more naturally, you know, would understandably be throwing more balls and fewer strikes. And so if the hitter's even mildly more uh, selective with the pitches he swings at, that his walk rate, you'd expect it to go up. Yeah. So I wonder if Brantley's been that. good long enough now that pitchers are like, man, I better not throw the ball over the plate or he's going to you know, rope a double. Although I guess it could be also be said that he just hit it everywhere last year. So <laughs> it doesn't matter if you throw a ball or a strike. you got to be scared where you throw it against them. Yeah, I mean, his, his swinging strike rate, uh, I think for like the last you know, three years, oh, it was ridiculous. Years, the best in baseball. Yep. Last year, at one point, I think it was like, Three percent he missed. Yeah, no, I think like season, the end of I mean, the year it was three percent. Yeah, was but it? <laughs> I three point one percent, and his career rate is three point four percent. He 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 does not swing and miss much. <laughs> so the next one, which could be Michael Brantley related, but I don't think so. Who will lead the Indians in home runs, and how many will they hit? Uh, not 30, which <laughs> if you're listening and wondering why I originally immediately said that the. Someone who'll hit 30 home runs has been a, a big thing at Let's Go Tribe for a while now because the Indians. 30 dingers. It's been a while since they had someone do it. And I don't think this is going to be the year that breaks that streak. Um, well, I already credited Santana with Brantley's walk rate. <laughs> do I double down or not? No, I will say, uh, you know what? Instead, I will express optimism about one of the new Indians. I will say Mike Napoli leads the Indians in home runs. Uh, but with a relatively modest total of, I'll say, 23, with a couple other guys not far behind. That's not bad. For what it's worth, Marlon Bird would have led last year. He would have led like two out of the or three out of the last five years, I think it is. <laughs> and the dude's 38. I don't think he'll do it this year, but my pick's going to be Santana. Somewhere around 23, 24, like you said with Napoli. Um, I think Napoli even might tie or be right behind him, but it's going to be those two. I don't know who else would be even close. Yeah, I mean, Brantley and Kipnis each have, like, the one bigger power year, but even their bigger power year isn't, I don't think, going to lead the Indians this year unless things for Napoli and Santana don't go well. Uh, But, yeah, I think we're looking at, like, waiting for Clint Frazier and hoping he pans out if we're looking for a 30-home run hitter. Fortunately, there's a lot of ways a team can be good without anyone hitting 30-home runs. (laughs) Just think in a few years, it could be Frazier and Bradley and Nelly Rodriguez hitting somewhere, I don't know where, but... Getting way ahead of ourselves there. Um, <laughs> so this one should be your favorite one to answer. How many innings will Joba Chamberlain pitch in an Indians uniform? Uh, uh, I'm going to go zero. I'm, I tend to be a pessimist and, and predict and expect what I don't Come want. On. But in this case, I'm going to go the other way. This is the individual player equivalent of me picking the Indians to sweep the World Series. I really don't <laughs> want to see Joba Chamberlain. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict that zero. He... He's recognized for what he is, and he's never allowed under the 25-man roster. <laughs> I'm going to say at least gets a couple. I don't have a number, 
which I guess I should have worded this question differently. I don't know the exact number, but I think he will go to a couple at some point if he doesn't get outright cut uh, in spring training or shortly after. So I'm going to predict your worst nightmare that eventually Joe B. Chamberlain will be pitching in Cleveland in an Indians uniform at some point. Oh, and you're going to go to the game and you're going to watch it and you're going to love it. No. That <laughs> you're going to buy your new Chamberlain jersey. I'm going to picture him trying to swap bugs out of his face, and I'm going to laugh at him, and then I'm going to, he's going to give up a huge home run, and I'm going to momentarily <laughs> cheer before I remember that he's now pitching for the Indians, and him giving up a huge home run is a bad thing. <laughs> but the Indians are up maybe like 14-2. to two. Maybe you can just cheer. That'll be okay. Yeah, no, I will. Because if Chamberlain's in the game, I don't think it's going to be on the line. That's not going to affect the outcome of the game. I will be happy to see him give up a home run. <laughs> There you go. We're never going to get Joe Chamberlain as a guest on the show now. You know that. No, we're not. I, I I accept fault for us losing him as a potential guest. He was just about to come on, and then I just got a message from him. He's not coming. He's listening <laughs> live somehow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so which player currently, I don't know how to phrase it, projected to be a, on the starting roster will be traded, or at least not on the team, sometime by the deadline, by the trade deadline? Like, is there any player you think the Indians are going to deal, or, or for some other okay, reason, we're will not be talking off the team? like someone gets sent down off the twenty-five man roster. We mean like out of the organization, right? Yeah, out of the organization. That's a better way. Yep. Um. Whew, that's a good question. Let's see. Uh, I don't expect any of the starting pitchers to get traded, so I won't say them. Uh, I guess I could say a reliever, but. Most of them feel so interchangeable. I wouldn't know how to pick one. Uh, I will. Gosh. Hmm. Let's say. Well, I was thinking Eric Gonzalez, but I don't think he's going to be on the 25 mine roster, but he doesn't work. But I do feel like at some point it makes sense for the Indians to trade one of their middle infielders who's in or very close to the major leagues. But I don't think he'll be in the 25 man roster. Um, you can stand up to the 40 if you want. So anybody on the 40 man roster? All right, I think Eric Gonzalez. I think he gets traded this year. I think if he's if he's doing reasonably well and builds up a little more trade value, I think the Indians acknowledge that unless something goes horribly wrong, there's not really anywhere for him to play, and they use him in a deal to try to make some sort of minor upgrade midseason. Yeah, I think that makes sense if we were going 40-man, but uh, sticking with the 20-man, you know, because some of us like to stick with the rules here and go with the original <laughs> question. <laughs> I would say, I don't think all of these guys are going to be traded or anything, but I think one of, maybe even two, Jose Ramirez, Josh Tomlin, or Cody Allen, if the Indians are close at the end of the year and they have somebody who can fill in for one of any of those players, I think they could be dealt for something along with a package for a prospect to just get the Indians into a playoff run at the trade deadline. That's what I'm talking about. Jose Ramirez is, you know, same idea as trading Eric Gonzalez. It's just, right. uh, you know, trading someone who's already on the roster. So that does follow the rules. Um, well, Cody <laughs> Allen is a bold answer, though. Uh, and I'm all for the idea that, you know, relievers are more fungible or whatever you want to say. Uh, someone else can step in. I feel like the thing with that is, even if the front office buys into that theory, uh, I think there's a, I guess I call it an emotional side of the game. I feel like you are, you're losing, and if this doesn't matter to you, this doesn't matter to you, but I think if you're a GM and you, you're contending and you trade your closer away, you're sending a message that's not going to go over well in the locker room, and I, I feel like it's just one of those team chemistry things uh, that even if on some level, like, the math makes sense, I think you, you're, you've got a lot of angry sailors in your boat. <laughs> I could buy into that, but what if, 
they're coming up with the deadline and they have some reliever. I guess this will even work with the chemistry idea, but if they have someone like Sean Armstrong, who, I mean, he's not even on the 25-man now, but if he's suddenly surging at the deadline and it's clear that he could take over as closer, you still think it'd be a problem and they wouldn't want to do it? I think Allen would have to really be struggling. I think if Allen is pitching the way he was last year and the Indians are contending, um, I think it's just tough to make a trade like that. I mean, you know, you think back to uh, when the Red Sox famously traded away Nomar Garciaparri, which... which is a huge deal at the time, but there was a sense that he was pretty unpopular in the clubhouse and, you know, he wasn't playing quite as well. Um, I think short of something like that about Allen, he'd be in that category of, uh, you know, in some ways I think about the Adam LaRoche situation and Chris Sale has sort of lost his mind about how the White Sox have handled that. Um, And I think the White Sox were maybe painted into a corner there uh, and I think I said painted into a corner twice during this podcast. So that's apparently <laughs> my phrase of the week. But, uh, There's the title. I, I think if you can avoid a situation like that in your clubhouse, you do. Um, so I could see the front office buying into like your logic that someone else can fill in and we can and, and upgrade somewhere else. Um, but I can't see him following through on it. Can we derail for a second and talk about how awesome the White Sox situation is, though? Oh, man, what a crazy mess. Like, as a non-White Sox fan, I am enjoying the bejesus out of what's been going on with the White Sox. And I said on Twitter, it's not even a non-White Sox thing. I just love me some weird, random, ever-evolving drama. It just got yeah. worse and worse over the course of a couple of days, and it was fun to watch. Yeah, Fortunately, I mean, it stopped it, now, but... Well, and the, great, the thing about how life works is... Whatever the White Sox do, good or bad, this will now be the narrative explanation for it. So if the White Sox turn out to contend the way some people think they can, the story will be they really bonded over, you know, this. And, you know, it was like an us versus them and management didn't have our backs and we had to have each other's backs. And on the other hand, if the White Sox don't contend, it'll be, oh, this totally derailed them. It wrecked the clubhouse chemistry and... So it's it's a great story because you can fit it to whatever results after the fact and say this is the explanation, which is the perfect thing for the internet. Yeah, when they make this into a lifetime movie in fifteen years, that's what they're gonna do. If the White <laughs> I, Sox win, it's gonna be a touching story about how they came together around Drake LaRoche. <laughs> and if they lose, it's gonna be about how it it's tore a touching them apart. story about how they totally fell apart. I hope they don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think my favorite line that I heard, I, I think it was Adam Eaton. But someone referred to Drake LaRoche, who I think is 14 and was 13 last year, as a team leader. And it's like, oh, well, that explains why you guys weren't very good last year. A 13-year-old was one of your team leaders. I can see his thinking that he's trying to be really nice about, we love the kid. But when you say a 14-year-old is your team leader, I mean, you're just opening the door wide open. That's not a good thing to say. Even a great, (laughs) kind Lots of great qualities. Thirteen-year-old is still a thirteen-year-old, and should not be considered a leader on a team of grown men. And maybe you shouldn't put a shrine to him in your locker room after he leaves. Maybe the whole thing. I am so glad it's happening, and so glad it's not the Indians. <laughs> exactly. So who getting back, who would be? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Even, I certainly don't know whose kids, but I just mean like in terms of like who the player is. I wonder. He was only on the team for one year, but obviously made a good impression. Uh, and he was pretty terrible on that one year, too. Like, it's, 
I, like I part of me is like it's really admirable that they're they're coming behind someone they were only teammates with for one year who was a terrible player for that one year. I mean, it speaks to his character, I suppose, and speaks to their character. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like, man, you guys are losing your minds over your team freeing up thirteen million dollars that could be spent on <laughs> someone who'd be a lot more likely to help you win games. Exactly. I think the closest would be I don't know. Well, the opposite sort of happened when Nick Swisher left. And everybody was saying how happy they were he was gone and how great yeah. he was in the clubhouse. But I can't I think, think of anybody I think who they would rally around. Thing, which is, I know how we first got into it, but again, I feel like if White Sox teammates are this angry about Adam, and I know it's the way he's being semi-forced out or whatever, but if they're this upset over losing Adam LaRoche, I feel like the Indians would be awfully upset if Cody Allen were sent away. Well, I don't know. How do they react to just any kind of deadline deal. I guess usually if you're winning at the deadline, you don't send away major league talent. Yeah, That's I mean, I think difference. they get that it's a business and players are going to be traded and stuff like that. I think it's just, I think it's hard to convince the players that in order to help them win this season, you're trading away someone who's helping them win this season. Um, you know, I think it's sort of like, you know, it's like the Foxhole thing. Like, he's in here with us and I think to, about this, and this is the opposite. This was someone being brought in, but the, the Nationals last year who had Drew Storen pitching really, really well as their closer and for some reason decided what they needed to push the team over the top was to go out and trade for Jonathan Papelbon. And <laughs> boy, did that blow up spectacularly in their faces. <laughs> Talking about yeah. things that were fun to Directly watch. Bryce Harper. So yeah, I, I just, I, I think, you know, for analytical fans, you sometimes it's easy to sort of look at the numbers and, and figure out, you know, yeah, this is a better player. Um, but I don't think you can lose sight of the fact that the guys who are putting up these numbers are all, you know, with each other day in and day out in a pretty intense way. I'm sure get really attached. And if a guy is a good teammate and is playing well, there's understandably going to be a lot of ruffled feathers if he's suddenly sent away. And I would not want to be the guy who was traded for if he was traded because that's, you're, you're going to get a cold welcome. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So getting back a little bit. Which top prospect will is going to debut first next season, other than Naquin? Because, I mean, he's probably going to be up right away. So other than him, do you see any big prospects coming up some point throughout the season? Not really. I mean, to some extent, it depends on your definition of, you know, big or top prospect. Uh, you know, when you look at Brazier, who I think are the consensus top two, I think they're both another year away before... Um, and then a lot of the other top prospects the Indians have right now, which is exciting, uh, but a lot of them are pitchers, but most of them are pitchers who are, I think, more than a year away. Um, so in terms of if you were just kind of running down the list looking for someone who would come up, um, I don't know. I don't think there's anyone who's in, like, the top ten. Uh, I guess Mike Clevenger, depending on your list, could be in the top ten, and I think he's you know, maybe eighth on the list for starting pitchers, eighth or ninth. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't be a big surprise if the Indians use eight or nine. So I guess if we go far enough down the list to include Clevenger, I guess he'd be my pick. Yeah, that was mine too. Is Clevenger. I don't think anybody else. I know everybody wants Bradley and Zimmer just to rush them up. Screw it, why not? But I think Clevenger, I think he's higher than you think. And uh, Let's Go Tribe, the community had him at three, and a lot of other places have him pretty high. And I don't think he's necessarily, he's eighth. On the depth chart, I guess, but I don't think he has to beat like 
house Tomlin and Anderson individually. He has to be better than all three of them, and he'll get right up there eventually. So I think it'll be him, if anybody. There's not going to be many big call-ups this year. Right. If anything well, else, I maybe like Eric Gonzalez. We talked about this one of the first podcasts we did when we were talking about the prospect lists. Uh, I'd forgotten you know, what a wide range of, of rankings Clevenger had. I happened to just pull up a list just to kind of get some names to jog my memory. And on uh, MLB.com's prospect list, he's all the way down at 15. Yeah, they, they never have him high for some reason. I don't know. But yeah. I think Baseball America, I think everybody else that I used in comparing, like Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, and Minor League Ball all had him in the top 10 at least. I yeah, think, I mean, in looking at the guys he's MLB behind, country. I can immediately you know there's four guys i'm positive i would put him ahead of and a couple other guys you know he'd be close to for me i wouldn't have him as high as three and i remember we talked at the time about uh you know the community put a lot more stock in kind of last year's performance than i would um yeah. but yeah i mean he, he's high enough to say as a consensus he's you know around the top 10 so i think he he counts for this question uh so yeah i think he's he's the logical choice there's no more really exciting answers for that, I don't think. Um, but next year, there could be an exciting answer. Oh, next year, there's going to be a lot of exciting answers, I think. <laughs> there's no guarantees. There's at least, what, four that could be possibilities, I would think. Yeah. Because Zimmer, um, well, Frazier, Bradley, maybe, Yandy Diaz. They're all going to be at least where you could say. Starting the reigning World Series winners, so that'll be a really exciting <laughs> conversation. There you go. That's the spirit. With Joba Chamberlain leading the way with the most innings pitched on the way to the no! World Series. Oh <laughs> Closing the game out. What, what, what am I going to do if he plays for the team and then it's awesome and it's pitching off? God, I, I can't even think about that right now. Just change your name, move to a different country, and never talk <laughs> about it again. Start a Let's Go Indians website. <laughs> um, so how many wins will the Indians finish with in 2016? The big question now. Oh, man. I thought I had another week to weigh in on this to, to figure this out. Um, you can change it next week. Don't think you're locked in now. But when we look at because next week we're going to do all the teams. Next week. So at the end of the year, I have twice as many numbers that I can point to. I can just, Here's the recording you were looking for. Um, <laughs> next week, I'll be more willing to, for better or for worse, do less bet hedging. This week, I'm going to hedge my bets and go... Uh, kind of generic safe, not bad, but generic. Uh, I'll say the Indians win 85 games this year. Wow. You call yourself an Indians fan, huh? <laughs> See, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but what I think is really interesting, and this isn't just the Indians, um, but I think it's really interesting, and I know you're kidding about real fan stuff, but I, I do think it's interesting that there's a segment of fans who are always really optimistic about the team and will always think like this is the year we can do it um and then a smaller segment of the fan base that and so for me 85 is optimistic because my natural tendency is definitely to expect the worst yeah so for me it's like the equivalent of some fans picking them to win 105 games yeah and I gotta say, as the guy looking at Facebook comments and Twitter comments all day, there is a lot of fans that are not optimistic right now. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be there the closer we get, but right now it's just all they're not gonna win anything. But um, mine's a little bit more optimistic than yours. Not really. I'm gonna say high 80s. Maybe they get to 90, 91. That's where well, I'm you gonna put call me. I had to pick a number. What's this high 80s? Maybe 90, 91. That's a range. <laughs> I want a number. <laughs> That's numbers. Didn't you hear me say numbers? 
Okay, um, 89. I'll say 89. All right. Give or take two. Now, uh, the, the natural follow-up, and we'll get back into this in more detail next week, too. What do you think 89, do you think, is 89 wins a, a postseason spot? We can talk about what postseason spot next week, but is 89 wins a postseason spot? I think so. I think um, all offseason, I thought at the very least, the Indians are going to be somewhere fighting for a wild card spot at the end of the year. Maybe not winning the division, but they'll be somewhere relevant by the time September rolls around. What about you? Yeah, I think, I think they will. Uh, I think 89 wins is a postseason spot. I think 85 wins probably isn't, and maybe next week I'll change my mind for that reason. Um, but 85 wins is certainly – the American League is looks like it's going to be really bunched together. Um, the National League looks like you could have two or three teams winning you know, 96, 97 games and three or four teams losing 100 games um, with not much in the middle. But the American League – uh, you could see an entire division separated by like 10 games or something like that. So I think anywhere in the 80s and mid-September, you're still you're going to have been in contention. It'd be a, it'll be a major disappointment to me if the Indians, if September rolls around and the Indians aren't contending. Definitely. That's, that's pretty much where I am. So the last one, um, don't be afraid to be wrong on this one and laugh at yourself later on. Give one outlandish prediction. Not something completely impossible, but something that has almost no chance of happening, but could happen. Um, let's see. I, for my outlandish prediction, will 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 go against my own prediction earlier on who <laughs> lead the team in home runs. I said Mike Napoli. My outlandish prediction will change my answer to that. I will say that Jan Gomes leads the team what? Uh, and and hits twenty seven home runs. Is that does that count as outlandish? That's pretty outlandish. I say right, that counts. Yeah, I, will, I will say Jan Gomes with a big bounce back to uh, the biggest power numbers of his career and a team wow. leading seven home runs. Wow. So that's interesting you mentioned Jan Gomes because mine is basically the opposite of yours. I'm going to say that Roberto Perez, without Jan Gomes missing a ton of games, he's going to have Roberto Perez is going to have more plate appearances than Jan Gomes this season. Wow. <laughs> All right. Just some way, either I don't. So no, twenty-six home runs for me for Gomes. My <laughs> latest prediction is that Roberto Perez is going to take over the catcher position. All right, and not through injury, just through being better. Right. Well, injury and the fact that Jan Gomes is going to struggle. Like I don't think they're going to take him and put him on the DL, and that's the only reason Perez gets more plate appearances. I think Jan Gomes will. And I'm, I don't. I shouldn't say I think. I think if in our outlandish scenario. Right. That Jan Gomes is going to end up struggling, and then Perez would take over. Our outlandish scenarios were not I love at all. We're just coming up with something. <laughs> it's not quite that. I'm saying it could happen. I think. <laughs> I'm not saying if Jan Gomes is good, everybody can say come say that they told me I was wrong. Because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying my outlandish prediction, the edge of reality, is that Roberto Perez will have more plate appearances than Jan Gomes. That's mostly just because I love that. My not outlandish in any way, shape, or form prediction is that if Joba Chamberlain does pitch for the Indians, the season will fall apart starting on that day. (laughs) I will personally send you the Chamberlain jersey. So that was all for our predictions that we had this week. I think those will be fun. Um, Probably we'll do it right after the season ends, after the World Series win. We'll look back while we're all excited about winning and sweeping over somebody and 
look at our predictions at the beginning of the year. And then you can tell me how right I am about Roberto Perez and how could you ever doubt him? It'll be fun. Imagine this scenario. Jan Gomes does hit 27 home runs, but Roberto Perez is so good that he forces Jan Gomes into the DH role and Jan Gomes does play more at catcher. And then we're both right. No, I don't want that. I'm right. You're wrong. There's no compromise here. I just you can't want just your way into my reality. Matt, Get out. Matt is on record as saying he does not <laughs> want Jan Gomes in a 27 home run this year. Because Carlos Santana is going to do it. Are you saying, are you officially on the Carlos Santana hater wagon now? Is that what's going on here? Lord, no. <laughs> I, my obituary. You just said, you just muted Carlos Santana out of the age. in my life defending Carlos Santana. You know what, Jan Gomes is going to read it people. and think they're talking about the musician, and that's just going to be the worst. <laughs> so that was all for our predictions. So the next thing is going to be our fan post question of the week, which I started doing a couple weeks ago. And last week was going to be a really good one to talk about on the podcast, but then Jason had to cancel the podcast. So I got sick. Um, that's right. <laughs> I tried to start it. He just yelled at me. It wouldn't stop. But it was, talk about a player interaction that you had. We had good ones that were posted. We had Rolub. He met a couple players in a bar. And then we had Tyler, who's on the staff. He met Nomar Garcia-Paro when he was a kid, which I think was a really good story. And you also, you didn't post it, but you have your legendary Frank Thomas story, if you want to go ahead with that. LGT readers are perhaps familiar with it, but it's more fun to tell a story verbally than in writing. Uh, So my Frank Thomas story, which is, I don't know if best is the right word, but certainly most memorable player. <laughs> and it, it's in fact not a player interaction story. It is a player lack of interaction story. Uh, and this is 1995, which uh, two things that means. One, it was the year after the labor stoppage when in theory, and I don't as an adult really care about this, but at the time, in theory, players were supposed to be doing more to kind of win fans back and yada, yada, yada. More importantly, what you need to know is this means I was 15 years old. Uh, So this was the summer after my freshman year of high school. And uh, I grew up in Chicago, and a couple friends and I had been at a White Sox-Angels game. And after the game, we were hanging out to potentially get some autographs, and did get some autographs. Uh, We got Lee Smith, who was pitching for the Angels at that point, and would go on to break the saves record eventually. Um, we got Ozzy Gian, which this by itself is a fantastic story because he was on a cell phone talking to his mom. Um, and if not just teenagers that we were, we just kind of interrupted the conversation. And Ozzy Gian, for all the terrible things said about him, and he is not a popular figure with Indians fans, but I will always have a soft spot for Ozzy Gian because he asked his mom to wait a second so that he could sign her autographs and then <laughs> cool. dropped his cell phone and it broke while he was signing the autographs. So we interrupted <laughs> him and caused him to break his cell phone. And he was polite and kind about the entire thing. Ozzy um, Ian? Yeah. Wow. But that's not the part of of this story. So it's now like two hours after the game, maybe more. Pretty much everyone on the player and fan side has left. Uh, Frank Thomas hasn't come out yet, and I'm not a White Sox fan, so I don't especially care about Frank Thomas, except for the fact that he's you know their best player and one of the best players in baseball. Um, and so I you know I recognize that. And my friends who I'm with are White Sox fans, so they're the guy they've been waiting for. So it's the three of us, uh, and then three younger kids who are maybe. I don't know, eight or nine or something like that. 
uh, and a couple of dads were there with them. So we're the only people left. And we're outside a chain link fence next to the player's parking lot. And finally, Frank Thomas comes out and like a valet or whoever goes to get his car. And he's just kind of standing there waiting. And we're yelling, especially the younger kids, but we're sort of yelling too for him to come over. And he's maybe, I don't know, 40, 50 yards away. So we're talking about like a 30 second walk and a major league baseball player, six kids, he can sign six autographs in what, like a minute, maybe two minutes, and then a 30 second walk back. So we're looking at, he could do this entire thing in like three minutes. Um, so he waits for his car, his car gets pulled up. And what we really wanted him to come over, if he had just gotten into his car and driven off, well, I would have been a little disappointed. You know, like I get it. The White Sox had lost that night and he just wants to get home. Fair enough. But he doesn't just get into his car and drive off. Instead, his car gets pulled up. He proceeds to go into the trunk and get out like a container of wax and a rag and to spend 10 minutes wiping his car down while we're while six kids or teenagers and three kids and three teenagers are screaming for him to come sign autographs. Please, Frank, blah, 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 blah. He stands there and spends 10 minutes wiping his car down then puts the stuff back into his trunk, gets in, and then drives off because Frank Thomas is some sort of sociopath. <laughs> well, he probably saw what you did to Ozzy Gian's phone. He just <laughs> saw you came up and attacked him and knocked the phone out of his hands. Like, I don't want any part of them. Maybe you're right. I never looked at the, he saw the Ozzy <laughs> part of it. Maybe I've been too hard on him all these years. But all he saw hard. in the distance. I can't back down from it. No, and <laughs> That's it's a good like, story. That's absurd behavior. Again, like if he'd just gotten into his car and driven off, that's fine. I still would have been mad. And 15 year olds get mad at everything, which is why they shouldn't be team leaders for major league baseball teams. (laughs) Full circle. (laughs) But, but just stand there. Like who wipes their car down before they drive home? Even if you're going to rub, like wax your car, don't you do that once you get it back in the garage? Like now you're just going to drive home on the expressway and it's going to get dirty again. Like that's, it's just a weird time to clean your car. Even if no one wanted an autograph, it was a super bizarre chain of events that led to me being livid as only a 15 year old can be livid. And, and clearly it's still uh, a meaningful moment in my life. It's it's not apparent. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't come through at all. <laughs> That's great. How about yeah, so you? He, have you ever had like a a notable encounter or interaction of any sort with a with a a player of any sport? Um, baseball, no, because I live um, two hour. What I lived when I grew up two hours away from Cleveland. I think we went to like two games in total, and then I've been to four as an adult. So no, the closest I have is getting. A basketball signed by all the Harlem Globetrotters. That was pretty neat. That's all I got. <laughs> it wasn't anything special. I just had to wait in line. And it was pretty cool. I have nothing I have uh, an autograph, a basketball autograph by the 1988-89 uh, Fighting Illini basketball team, which went to the Final Four that year. And so my sister was in college at that point, and, and she got the ball for me as like a gift, which was super cool. And when they went to the Final Four, I assumed that meant eventually these guys would all be NBA superstars and that basketball would be worth, like, thousands of dollars. Uh, and some of them did make the NBA, but that basketball is definitely not worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> you never know. I have something sort of related. It's It couldn't be any less related, but technically works, uh, I guess. So I got 
I wasn't a Pirates fan, but I remember we went to a Pirates game and I got a hat at the game. And then I just liked the hat, so I wore it everywhere as a kid. I'm talking like less than 10 years old. And then we were at a parade one time and a clown picked it up. So for some reason, I thought it was the specialist best hat ever. But then um, months later, we went, we had a local amusement park that has those, you know, those rides, you sit in chairs and you're suspended and you spin around. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's you rise up in the air and then you spin. Well, I wore my hat on that and then it flew off and then I never found it. And then I was crushed. (laughs) We never found that hat. So I never got to keep my pirate's hat that was blessed by a clown. In your mind, it's not did the touching the hat have anything to do with it mysteriously flying away on the ride? Probably. I guess it went back to its owner. I don't know. <laughs> the clown claimed it, and so it went back. But I don't know. The clown just picked it up, and then he just put it on and laughed. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best hat ever. The clown touched it. And then I lost it. So it's not quite for Thomas wearing part. it because I'm fairly confident that if, if it had been me, I would have been terrified by the clown picking up my hat, and then would have been terrified of the hat. Oh, I like so that I admire that you had a much more, again, optimistic view of your hat for having been picked up and worn by a clown. <laughs> and then I lost it, so maybe that's why I don't like clowns anymore. Just the, It's just buried in there somewhere that clowns make me lose hats and have sadness. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't like clowns because I saw Poltergeist when I was way too young, and the clowns all on that. Wrecked sleeping with limbs dangling off beds for me forever. (laughs) And now you're going to think about that. The last thing before you go to sleep tonight is you're going to think about that now. Just you wait. (laughs) So that was last week's. Uh, This week's is a little different slightly. Or this week's fan post question, I mean. I I want people to come up with weird scenarios to trade for Mike Trout. Just to make it even somewhat viable, let's pretend that Trout came out and said he wanted to be traded at the Angels... Wanted to do it, and Indians ownership said, you, as the Indians GM, if you don't trade for him, you're going to be fired. Is What kind of package would you desperately send to the Angels to try to get Mike Trout and save your job? I really like the the fairly inconsequential twist on this, that you're the GM <laughs> and you're going to be fired. It adds a really well, I mean, nice Otherwise, color. people were saying, well, I'm just not going to do it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. it feels like, like the scenario from like an 80s comedy. Um, all right let's see well one and i feel like a debbie downer bringing this up one sad but true fact to consider is the fact that mike trout i think this year and next year is still like relatively affordable uh and then i think 2018 2019 and 2020 he's getting like 34 million dollars a year so i guess i'm just glad that the dolan's also got like a three billion dollar inheritance I, yeah, I just like the Indians' ownership has freed up the payroll that I can now take on someone who's going to make $34 million a year. Um, yeah, they, well, got it, so they got the money now. I think Francisco Lindor has to be involved in the trade. And the great thing is right there, you've immediately lost a huge segment of Indians fans. Uh, I think there are... Off um, to a good start. Well, like, and like financially, there's potentially some merit to that. I think just in a vacuum, there are probably a few Indians fans who are so excited about Lindor right now that they'd rather have him than Mike Trout, even if the money wasn't an issue. Um, Lindor would have to be involved. Uh, Lindor, Carrasco, and like Clint Frazier. I think you're looking at a package like that. Uh, what do you, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think it would take? Let's say you're the GM and you call the Angels. What that the Indians have, do you think it would take for them 
one thing worth mentioning is the Angels aren't a really a good team. Uh, on some level, they're sort of wasting Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. See, that's why he wants out. See, my scenario makes right. sense. Come on. Exactly. So that part of it, like, <laughs> if you squint, is semi-plausible. Uh, yeah, I feel like you're looking at, like, Lindor, Carrasco, and a good prospect. Yeah. I think at the very least, you have to replace. It's going to be Zimmer or Frazier. You're not going to get around that. Um, I think the Indians would try to not send Lindor. I think they would do just about everything they could to avoid it. Um, I would send Carrasco no no hesitation. Carrasco and I'd even give him Zimmer just to try to avoid sending Lindor. So Carrasco, Zimmer, trying to think of another prospect. I guess it'd have to be another star at the majors though, wouldn't it? You're not gonna get Mike Trout for just a couple of prospects and Carlos Carrasco. I don't think you're getting I don't think you're getting him for Carrasco and a couple of prospects. Yeah, and I feel like like who I think I'd rather say. I guess I'm assuming the answer is Lindor. Do you? Yeah. In your mind, is Lindor the most untouchable player in the Indians right now? Like the least likely player. To, I mean, I to me he is. Yeah, I think he's the most untouchable with everything like considered. On some level, whatever team they were trading Trout to, like whoever that team's number one guy is, he's got to be in the deal. Like whether that's a prospect or, you know, a 25-year-old all-star, I feel like just mentally the Angels would have to get whoever they traded him to. They'd have to get their top guy involved in the package. Yeah. If they couldn't get around it, I would think, I think your deal's the most realistic if they can't get around trading Lindor. Just for the sake of argument, trying to get around trading for him. Maybe like Carrasco, Kipnis, Zimmer, and somebody else. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else. Naquin, I guess. I guess Maybe. that's not a whole lot. Uh, and, because well, the good it, thing uh, is the Indians it, can replace... Conversation, it also points you back to why players like Trout just generally don't get traded. I mean, that, we don't even... I, mean, right. I don't even know. I say players like Trout as if that's a group of players. Um <laughs> But there's a reason that Ted Williams didn't get traded as much as drunk Red Sox management tried to trade him a couple times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the good thing is, no matter who the Indians traded on the infield, Jose Ramirez could sort of replace him, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, if they had to empty out their infield, it wouldn't be a total loss. It'd be it'd be a huge loss, but they'd have something at least, I think. But yeah, yes. it's kind well, of a weird, silly, dumb thing. Take care of that center field question we were talking about earlier. <laughs> that would take care of it. One more step to this. Let's okay. somehow the Indians do trade for him, whatever the package is. What percentage of Indians would expect him to immediately fall apart and no longer be the best player in baseball? Indians fans, you mean? Yes. Specific to just Indians fans, what percentage of the tribe fan base would be like, oh, God, he's probably not even going to be that good anymore? Probably a good 20%, and I think that's high. I think if they actually made a trade that big people would be excited enough that it would mostly overrun their Cleveland pessimism. But, I mean, the first time he doesn't hit a home run in a game, it's going to be, why'd they trade for him? He's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think to start, maybe only like 20% would just be just saying, oh, now he's going to suck he's in Cleveland. Yeah, what about you? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I think you're probably right. He's a huge name. It'd be exciting. I think there would... And 20% might be about right. There would be a sizable chunk of the fan base that if the Indians gave up Lindor or Carrasco in the deal would, even if they felt like Trout was better, they'd feel like, oh, he's not going to be worth that money. He's going <laughs> to 
they'd be holding their breath. Yeah. I don't think well, we're going to find out in this one, though. I don't think we'll get to to know the sure? what would happen for Indians fans <laughs> if the Indians traded for Mike Trout. Prove me wrong, Indians. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I don't know what to do to attendance. Maybe 100 extra people a game. Yeah, Maybe. There's, there's literally dozens of Cleveland area people who would dozens of buy a ticket now, but would buy one if they had Mike Trout. Okay, so that's all for my weird little fan post scenario. We'll do this each week. We'll just go by the question and answer it with our own theories about it. Okay, so the last little thing here is Twitter questions. The first one comes from Toby, 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 which, who, by the way, sent me a bunch of stuff through our survey for helping podcast quality. I don't know if it comes through or not, but I've used a bunch of it. So thank you, Toby. That's helped. Um, but his question was, is there a mnemonic device or something that will help me differentiate between Robbie Grossman and Shane Robinson? For people who don't know, Shane Robinson, or yeah, Shane, I had to look. Shane Robinson and Robbie Grossman, it's kind of a running joke that we can't tell them apart. No, like just their names or something. They're the same player. Their names look the same. I think the problem with the pneumatic device is you have to like know the actual difference between the two things. You're trying to use the device to help you remember the difference. And I just don't know how to find the difference. I'm not even positive with <laughs> two different people. <laughs> and I mean, Robbie Robinson works as a name. Shane Grossman works as a name. I don't know. That'd be the perfect Robbie partner. I, guess. The doors or something. I feel like Robbie Robinson was like the, the keyboard player for the Doors. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. He sounds like a keyboard player. But you know, the good thing, maybe they could sneak them both in on the roster. Because maybe the commissioner wouldn't even notice. I just looked it up. I don't know who. Robbie Robinson, the, the band. <laughs> There's a Robbie Robinson somewhere out there. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, let's see. Robbie Robertson. Is that even the Indians player's name now? Is it Robbie, Robbie Robinson? Robinson. Robinson. Robbie Robertson <laughs> was the lead guitarist and main songwriter for the band. He probably wrote The Weight, which is a fantastic song that everyone should go and listen to. So I guess if I were trying to remember Robbie Robinson... I would somehow use Robbie Robertson, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, it's just unfortunate they can't change their names. But that's yeah. our starting point. Shane Grossman they're not, they're... was back for the Florida Gators in like 1994. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That sounds more like Rex Grossman than um, Robbie Grossman does. Whenever I, think, whenever I hear Grossman, I always Grossman. That. That's what it is. Florida had Shane Grossman at some point and Rex Grossman at some point. There you Shane go. Shane oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> they won't be in the majors anyway, so you won't have to worry about it. And then the next question is, what will Jose Ramirez's role in the team be? Will he be like Mike Avilas? And my answer is going to be yes, but good. He's going to—he's the same role as Mike Avilas, but he'll be good at it. He'll, he can play outfield, pretty much any infield position, not catcher, I guess. And he can hit, and his helmet flies off a lot, so it's fun to watch. That <laughs> is fun to watch. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I think I think it was Willie Mays. Like his, he intentionally got his hat slightly too big so that when he was running to track down balls, it flopped because he knew it was like that looks that looks cool. And he was. Is right. that an official comparison to Willie Mays for Shane Robinson? <laughs> yes. There's my bold prediction for 2016. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're gonna see Jose Ramirez in a lot of different positions. Um, with Avila, that oftentimes felt like he was being like shoehorned into positions. Um, so what I hope we don't see is so many other players struggling that Jose Ramirez is playing, you know, outfield twice a week and 
third base twice a week and shorts. You know, I, uh, it's not that I don't want to see Jose Ramirez, but I hope the need doesn't arise for him to have to play multiple positions multiple times a week because that's a sign that things aren't going well uh, with other players. Uh, but I do think when he plays, we'll see him in a lot of different spots. I think that's also partially a Tito thing, too, is just playing. He likes to pick one person and just plug him in everywhere. But I think at the very least, Jose Ramirez is going to be better at it than Mike Aviles was. He'll hit like a real major leaguer. <laughs> no, poor Mike Aviles. <laughs> I like him off the field. He's a nice guy, but, man, he was terrible. I guess he would almost be the Adam Roach Because he yeah. was a great clubhouse guy, but he was awful when he played. Yeah, yeah. you're right. He, he was probably the closest comp. So, do you have anything else? No, I don't Any think questions? so. Um... I'm heading out of town this weekend, so next week, in addition to the Indians, we'll be able to talk about my vacation, which is what I know people are interested in hearing about. <laughs> uh, but no, I can't think of anything else for tonight. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, if you want us to improve anything, we have, we're going to have a survey at the bottom of the post on letsgotribe.com. And I just said it, but thanks for listening again. Here comes the music. Music.